Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The National Blast podcast with Keenan Skelly. Join Keenan and guests as they blast you to a place that is certainly not boring, yet still giving you highlights from areas in cyber where key policies and legislation are needed, exist, but aren't enforced, or no one is even talking about it. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Hey, hey, everyone. It's Keenan Skelly, the host of the National Blast. We, as always, have a wonderful guest here. His name is Mike. Mike is going to tell us a little bit about himself and what we're going to talk about today. Okay. Hey, Keenan. How you doing? Nice to uh, be asked uh, to speak with you today. Uh, so, Mike Hamilton. Um, I have been in the information security business for going on 35 years. Uh, I've been the managing consultant for VeriSign Global Security Consulting. I've been the chief of information security for the city of Seattle, been a policy advisor to Governor Inslee in Washington State, I've been the vice chair of the state, local, tribal, and territorial government coordinating council with Homeland Security. Uh, I'm the founder of Critical Insight, the company where I am now and the founder of the Pisces Project that monitors small cities and counties for free and uses the data that we collect for live fire training at 10 universities. So leaving out the part about- uh, my new favorite person. Everything you just said there, I'm like, oh, I want to know more about that. Oh, no, I want to know more about that. Wait till I tell you about the organized crime part, because that's a really interesting story. Love it. Well, now you have to tell us. You just have to go ahead and tell us about that story before we even get started, because everyone's okay. Okay. All right. So uh, back in the uh, mid '90s, I found uh, that I was uh, unintentionally at first working for these guys who were basically the uh, the mafia in the San Fernando Valley in California. <laughs> wow. And one thing led to another, and I decided that it was really not a good idea to uh, work with these folks anymore, largely because. I got hauled into a four-hour interview with special agents from the IRS, SEC, and FBI and rolled over on them. Uh, so uh, then I, um, I guess you could say I fled to Arkansas and uh, worked at Walmart headquarters on the Y2K project and uh, got picked up by a startup called Gardent. Uh, while I was in Arkansas, I let my driver's license expire. I lived in a hotel for six months and I fell off the radar. Um, Garden relocated me out to Seattle and my wife and I got an apartment and another apartment. And then we bought a house and three days into the house, FBI, Hey, we'd like you to testify against these. I really don't want to do that. So I guess uh, it's interesting. There's a, there's a lot of things I left out in there, but it was, I I would hope so. (laughs) Yeah, That's a, that is an interesting story. Okay. And what we're going to talk about today is election security, because this is on my mind a lot. And I think increasingly, as we're watching the elections unfold now, primaries are almost over. We got stuff coming up in November. You know, I think this is an interesting thing to be hitting. It really is. And especially, you know, we're looking at primaries right now and already we see people coming out and claiming uh, the votes are not going correctly, that there is some kind of fraud happening, that there isn't any security. What do you think about that? I mean, I feel like we had a pretty solid standing, you know, from Chris Krebs and and how CISA did in 2020 and how protected it was. And we've been doing, you know, election villages. We've been doing all of this work with state and local. Why do you think it is people are still 
really wrapped up in the, the security piece and, and what are we doing about it? Well, part of that messaging is clearly intentional and it's disinformation and it is designed to throw the results of elections into question. And that is proceeding at pace. A lot of that is coming uh, from uh, other countries, nation states know that this is the way to get to our people, right? Uh, in this country, especially, and it's not just here, it's everywhere, but especially here, people wanna believe anything you hang in front of them that confirms their pre-existing belief. Absolutely. Okay, Whether or not that belief is based on anything, they're gonna believe it. So the fear, you know, I like to call it feed the fear. If you already have fear. a little notion of a horrible thing that might happen and somebody comes out and tells you it's true. Yes, yes. you're so right. I knew it this whole time. Thank you for confirming what I already knew, you know, Thank but you. with your, with respect to your, you know, your point about Chris Krebs, that was securing the election against cyber attack and meddling and, you know, trying to change the outcome of the election, which is really difficult to do. So this whole cyber, cyber, cyber thing is a bit of a red herring, okay, with one exception, right? When we're talking about things like voting machines and, you know, being able to compromise a voting machine, you need physical access. It's extraordinary how you would go about doing that. It's just not going to work. So go away, Jake. Uh, so Jake knows this is on my calendar. He's doing this to me intentionally. Um, I mean, so, that's how it usually works, though, right? That's when I get all the phone calls is when I'm recording. It's just I for, Yeah, I forgot to go do not disturb. That's my marketing guy. And you know these marketing people. You just, <laughs> you, they're just not going to leave you alone. Uh, but so this you know thing about I'm going to cyber your election is not even real. All right. What is real is the fact that, again, you know, uh, throwing the results of an election into doubt so, you know, Keenan, in this country, because we have this antiquated thing called the Electoral College, that if you swing three or four key counties, you get a different president. And that is true. Yep. So when it's not required to change the outcome of an election, what's required is to throw the results into doubt. You know, in today's world, I can pull down ransomware as a service, you know, just by paying for something with cryptocurrency and hit those counties. And it doesn't matter that the county infrastructure and administrative network is not connected to the election infrastructure, people will think it is. So this is what I think is, you know, it's, this is a big fear of mine as we come into the next elections. Cybering an election, changing votes, you know, changing the source code and machines to retabulate, that's all BS. I, I couldn't agree with you more on this. You know, I've, I've said this for the last year and I think, I think we're still in a, a, a place in the United States and honestly, globally, where we don't really recognize the fact that a lot of our data is already out there on the dark web. It just, it is. There are right? no records left to steal. There are no records left to steal. Your information is out there. So if, let's say, a particular party or candidate wants to know who voted a certain way in an election, they can pretty easily get that information with some money and talking to the right people. So there is a really easy way for them to identify the people who they want to target, just like you're saying in terms of counties, all the way down to individuals. And that's really scary when you think about it. But it also means that we have to do a better job with teaching people, teaching the folks who are at the election, you know, doing the election work, uh, election workers, and just, you know, mass media that this is how this works works and you can't do anything but possibly be swayed by somebody who is lying to you, which yeah. is the bigger 
thing here, right? I mean, disinformation. It is. And in, and in fact, and, and this is, I think, an interesting anecdotal story. Um, I went to a uh, statewide exercise on election security. It was about election cyber security. Okay. I'll leave out which state this was. But um, when uh, I participated in this, it was a great exercise. They focused much more on disinformation and countering disinformation than any other topic. Yep. Right. I mean, it's, it's clear you're not going to cyber an election. We're too distributed. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, so they have this, this focus and this need to very quickly identify and counter disinformation. And so there are grants available for this. And there's a story in the media, I think it's about two days old, on how uh, in the state of Colorado, they uh, wanted to get some of their grant funding so that they could hire people to watch social media and find the disinformation so that they could quickly counter it, like I say. And because of the law enforcement competition for the grant funding, they were denied any support. But then, and, okay, so I got I mean, to- There's a lot you can read into that. Because there's an obvious tie in to, to some breaking news that happened this week. And that's with Mudge and Twitter, you yeah. know, coming forward and saying the security there is actually terrible. We already know the security at Facebook is terrible. We know that social media doesn't take this as seriously as they should. So how hard is it to really control that misinformation when it comes to elections, when the, the social media providers themselves aren't really taking it as seriously as, as you know, LE or government or CISA or others are? Yeah, well, I think it's a scale question, right? So if you're Facebook, Meta, whatever, right, you're trying to do that with millions of messages that you have to put through some kind of sieve and you have to have someone inspect, right? If you are a jurisdiction, right, so counties conduct elections, states don't, city counties, for the most part, conduct elections. So if you're in a county and you're watching social media on popular Facebook pages, Twitter pages, things like that, it's not the responsibility of those service providers, right, those social media companies, it's up to you. And it it becomes a very tractable problem when you are looking what's going on in your county, right, because that's what's going to affect your election. That's so true. And it kind of goes back to the awareness and the understanding of disinformation. You know, everybody uh, gets some part of their daily information now from social media, but you have to be able to understand that that can't be your only source of information. It's like folks who watch only one kind of news channel. You only watch CNN. You only watch Fox News. Well, you're only seeing part of the picture. Watch a ton of other different news networks and see how they're telling the story and make your own decisions from all the information that you can gather. I think it's the same way when we talk about elections. You can't just have one voice or one media outlet or one social media outlet giving you all of your curated information because there's a good chance that that that's not true, that it's not all real. Tina, you're talking about the United States of America, where 60% of the people that live here read and write at a sixth grade level. I know. Right. I'm Having trying, an I'm, expectation I'm that people are going to get media literacy overnight is just not going to work. You know, we've got to go back to the beginning and we've got to be teaching this in school. And Illinois, to their credit, was the first one I heard of that said, we are going to put media literacy in high school curriculum. Good on you, Illinois. No, that's actually great. I'm I'm from Illinois, so I'm really excited about it. That's <laughs> awesome. So 
So how do you think or do you think that, you know, some of our issues with privacy and the fact that we don't have privacy legislation, the fact that we don't have a a nationwide kind of focus on privacy that really lets people understand what their data is and what data is shared about them and how that information is shared with people like uh, electoral campaigns who are looking out for you. Do you think that, that that could be part of the whole educational process is, you know, there obviously there's always going to be people that try to scam you. There's criminals everywhere, everywhere. You just have to be smart enough to know these are my rights. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And I think you sound stupid. Um, what do we do with that? Well, you know, I think so. There's there is no national privacy statute. So we're going to end up in the same situation that we did with data breach reporting. Right. California was the first yes. state to break ground. It's called Senate Bill 1386. And I think 1998 or 1999. And now there's 50 of them. OK, California was first with the uh, um, California um, Consumer Privacy Act. Mm-hmm. And there is the California Privacy Rights Act. Mm-hmm. And they have teeth. And so uh, and and it's very interesting that uh, if there's an unauthorized disclosure of your personal data, your PII, your privacy information, that there is no requirement to prove that you were harmed by that. The fact that the data was disclosed is enough standing for you to take that to court. And so there are, you know the new generation of ambulance chasing attorneys is now watching for privacy violations and putting together class actions. So using a stick like that, you know, eventually we get the kind of regulation, not from the government, not from the federal government, but we get these, you know, huge fines that you're going to incur. And so people are going to start, you know, behaving better on how they move this stuff around. One of the, you know, examples of this is the way that the brokers that gather up all the information that comes off all the wretched apps that people put on their phones can Damn be used to track brokers. location. Yeah. Yes. These guys are going to get hit hard. You know, every they're pushing time, back. They're every time this comes hard. up, I always bring up the, the John Oliver episode uh, last week tonight with John mm-hmm. Oliver on data brokers. It was absolutely informative, but it was also hysterical. And one of the things that he did, if you haven't watched it, I'll include the link in this. It's very- It's good. I've seen it. It's really good. But at the end, he tries to make a point by gathering all of this personal information for the people in Congress who aren't really looking or focusing on that. And it was interesting how quiet it got after that about mm-hmm. the privacy legislation here in the DC metro area. But- you know, these are things that that people already know are affecting society in a negative way, right? So there's always this back and forth between you want the public to know what's going on. You want organizations to know what's going on. You want the government to know what's going on. Everybody needs to be kind of in the loop. But at the same time, everybody's already kind of in a loop. And it's probably not the loop that you want told about you or your company or about anything else. So how do we get a grip on that and then help that to drive disinformation and the understanding of disinformation? Well, I don't know. That's a little above my pay grade. I think it's going to take legislation, frankly. You know, there's always, you know, so in terms of like cyber good behavior, okay? God, I hate the word cyber. Um, Yeah, can we just start over with something new? (laughs) Cyber is such a cartoon word for a whole bunch of very serious, very complex things. And I don't know why the federal government did that, but... There's always been this um, um, argument discussion, should security be handled more by regulation or market forces? And, you know, when you don't have a choice 
as to uh, who's handling your data, you, you didn't voluntarily become part of that market, right? So think of Equifax, okay? Oh, yeah. I never OPM. contracted Equifax OPM, and they lose right? everything, OPM, yeah. right? So, you know, so market forces, you can throw those out the window, all right? In certain cases and in certain, you know, sectors of the economy, you know, that does work, right? It's becoming a competitive differentiator now that people have to evaluate every company they're going to do business with, show me your security papers, right? But for Equifax, you can throw that stuff out the window. So the, what you're left with is regulation. So to your question, how do we get to that point? You know, the government's going to have to step in and they're going to have to start pulling out the stick. And that is happening right now. So number one, with these privacy statutes and this whole business about, uh, you know, you don't need to demonstrate harm to have standing. There's also the Federal Trade Commission is on the warpath right now. Oh, they are. False Claims Act business, right? So you lose a bunch of my data. And Federal Trade Commission pops in and says, you know, you told everybody that you really take this seriously and that you were compliant with regulatory. It turns out you're not. So we're pulling out a can of whoop ass and here's the uh, size of the check you're going to need to write. Okay, so those things are going on. And eventually, but at some point, like if we're talking about big, you know, multinational companies. So what? We got a two million dollar fine. Big deal. Some of these set, fines are a fraction a of your revenue. Some of these fines are okay, a fraction of your revenue, right? That's, that's what California good. did. They're not messing around. That's good. You know, you know, but go, going back to this, you know, election thing here, right? So yes, disinformation is something that we are concerned about. Natural disasters are something we are concerned about. Fires in California, floods, frankly, in the entire southern United States right now, Mm -hmm. um, the failure to retain the technical resources that are needed to pull off an election, right? A lot of IT people say, ah, I'm punching out of the workforce, or I'm going to go over here, I'm going to do something better. And it's hard to get people to work, especially in the public sector in IT, right? Oh, yeah. Even more importantly, the threats of violence that are coming against election workers and volunteers means there's not going to be anybody to staff an election. So you got to ask the question, what's plan B? We get wiped out by a tornado, a flood, a hurricane, you know, a fire. We can't find people to work. How do you pull off an election? And what seems obvious to me, but gets, you know, really disparaged by the academic community is this thing called UOCAVA voting. Have you ever heard of this? It's no. The, it's the Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voting Act, UOCAVA, okay? Everybody who's in the military votes this way if they're deployed overseas. Expatriates, all people traveling, okay, they all do it this way. And it's been done this way for a long time. This is a statute of the United States. The way this works is basically like DocuSign. You mark a ballot, okay, in your browser, and then that ballot is transmitted over to the jurisdiction that you're voting. It's printed, and then it's counted. There's a paper trail. There are integrity checks along the way. But if you bring this up to anybody in the academic community, they recoil in horror when they hear the word computer. And we've got to get over this. It's This is not about perfect security. There's never going to be perfect security. This is about risk management, okay? Do you drive a car? Preach. I'm sorry, preach. Risk management. Yes, yes, I drive a car. Okay, do you know a a meteorite can hit your car? 
Yes. And a, but you a still drive, right? A hurricane can come at any time and a fire and like the gas tank can explode and blah, blah, but blah. But we still drive, right? Yep. So look, there's a way to mitigate the risk around this, you know, voting business, especially if it's something so familiar and it's almost like DocuSign, right? So, you know, again, the academic community is doing us all a disservice with this insistence on 100% security. Even voting machines have an allowable error rate. Okay, come on, you guys. I almost feel, you know, a long time ago, a long time ago, I used to do um, election official duties in, in my county and really great experience to learn about what actually happens and how everything kind of works out and shakes out on the floor and what the election workers are doing and what the people are doing. I kind of feel like that should almost be a class <laughs> or yeah. a part of, of social studies as you're growing civics. up. civics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that you can understand how that process works and have some kind of basic understanding of how our elections work in this country outside of what you see on Facebook or Twitter or whatever news station that you watch, because it's very um, enlightening and it's very important to understand that. But if you have no real experience in that, or you have no understanding of truly the fact that it's the counties that run elections, it's not, you know, the, the federal government right. is doing anything. It's if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Well, and if you don't, so I'm in Washington state, we only use mail-in voting. That's it. Okay, and all everybody like freaking out about the ballots and the mail-in stuff and oh my God, more people voted than we wanted to, you know, get over it, you guys. We're just laughing at you. This works really well. There are, those, there are checks along the way. Are exceptions. They're, they're minute percentages of maybes that happened or people disinformation saying this happened when it didn't happen. Well, so, yeah, that's the evidence that's been held up for all of this, all these claims is some dude set. That's it. That's right. the evidence. And I'm using finger quotes for everybody <laughs> on the podcast. That is not evidence. Nope. Fact, evidence, and proof have definitions. I'll uh, go ahead and include those in the write-up for the podcast too, just in case anybody's curious. No, I, you're, you're totally right. And I think, um, you know, I lived in another country for a long time and, and what at the time was considered a second world country and elections there are horrifying. They're absolutely yeah. horrifying. There are so many different candidates. And when you go stand in the polling line, there's a good chance you might get shot because that's how they do elections there. And it really pains me on the inside to see America coming to this point, the United States coming to this point where we can't just handle a very fair election. We can't just say, okay, it is what it is. We lost this time, but we're going to do this. And that says something much bigger to me about the society that we live in and kind of the road that we're headed down. And that scares the shit out of me. I don't know about you. What do you think? Yeah, about no, it does. And it has to do with the way that we kind of set up the country in the beginning, which is not the country that we have now, right? Like this electoral college business and the fact that, you know, there's two senators for every state, even if the state only has three residents, right? You still get the same number of senators that California does. Yep. All right. So really, the people that are in Congress right now were elected by a minority of our population. Yep. All right. And that minority is doing everything it can to hang on to that status. Yep. So that's why, you know, we're ending up with all these laws that say, OK, one drop box per county, even you're a rural county in Texas or you are Harris County, mm -hmm. you know, where Houston is. Right. right. 
you imagine so that could be a difference like between five mallets and and five million mallets. Exactly right. So all this chicanery going on, really, it, it, it's all about preserving this infrastructure that has allowed minority rule. You know, and I, I so, hate to say it that way, but that you know that is a clear-eyed observation. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. So if you could talk to Congress right now, like everybody, and say, "Look, you guys are jacked up." Here's what you need to do. Like put away your petty differences and, and here's what you need to do. What would that be? What would those top three things be? National mail-in voting. Now to just vote by mail. Okay. For, we don't need to have, you know, election day be a holiday or, you know, uh, any of the other ideas that would try and, you know, uh, increase turnout and, and, and stop, you know, the uh, preventing people that, for example, got to work a nine to five job on voting day, you know, and can't, can't get away from the job. Right. And well, these things are up. so easily overcome yep. by looking at the model of, you know, California, not California, Washington. Uh, I think Utah does mail-in voting, Colorado, not California. Um, and but only that's all they do. And it works. And you can prove every time there's an election, there's an audit. And they can say, yeah, this was exactly what we expected. It worked fine. All of our integrity checks and our security checks worked perfect. So that, that, I mean, that it's an easy fix. Yep. Anything else? National voting. Uh, I'm running out of soapbox, I guess. You're, you're off. You're, did you just step off your soapbox? Don't do that. No, I'm, no, I'm not having stepped off, but I'm, I'm running out of soapbox. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I think, you know, that absolutely. But I also think addressing the electoral college is a, is a big issue that this country needs to really. Ah, uh, yes. Affirmative action that. for red states. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you shuffle up the electoral college if, if you had, you know, this magic wand? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, that is not something I put any thought into. I would just get rid of, <laughs> get rid of it. Right. I mean, you want to have, frankly, whoever gets the most votes wins. Right. Should be simple. You that know? sounds crazy. That yeah. sounds like crazy talk. Yeah. Oh, you know, this whole bit about electors and, you know, and, and, you know, we see where this is going, you know, what got tried, what's probably going to get tried again. There's a case before the Supreme Court, the next you know session that's going to deal with this. Yep. You know, that's where the whole trajectory is just bad. It could all be solved by just going, hey, look, we just do elections by mail. We have all of these checks in place. You get a barcode. Hey, barcode doesn't match. Ballot goes in the bin, right? Uh, you know, this stuff is not that hard to pull off. There are states that have been doing it for a very long time, very successfully. So, you know, all of this recoiling that people are doing about mail-in voting is because they get hit with disinformation and that's what they want to believe. Yep. No, I, I agree. I, I mean, if you can get do all of your paperwork and receive your driver's license or ID card in the mail, which you can now mm -hmm. in most states. Why? Why is voting different? Help the question. I am, you know, because because huh. people want the entrenched infrastructure to stay what it is. That's yeah, forget about that. Rallying against that. No, no Congress. No. All right. Uh, this was such a great chat. You have to come back. I mean, I'd love to. I got all kinds of opinions. I, I love it. <laughs> opinions are my favorite. <laughs> so uh, you have to come back. But this was really an amazing episode. And I'm so glad that you came on. We're going to talk more about the mafia story offline and try to share what I can. 
but I, I think it's wonderful. So thank you for joining me today. Um, you guys, this has been the latest episode of The National Blasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the National Blast podcast with Keenan Skelly. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.